a reading from the prophet Jonah. The sailors said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, so that we may know on whose account this calamity has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us why this calamity has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? I am a Hebrew, he replied. I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were even more afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them so. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea was growing more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great storm has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to bring the ship back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more stormy against them. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, O Lord, we pray, do not let us perish on account of this man's life. Do not make us guilty of innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked Jonah up and threw him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord even more, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. But the Lord provided a large fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. This is the word of the Lord. Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. Glory to you, O Lord. When he entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, appealing to him and saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home, paralyzed in terrible distress. And he said to him, I will come and cure him. The centurion answered, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only speak the word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my slave, do this, and the slave does it. When Jesus heard him, he was amazed and said to those who followed him, Truly I tell you, in no one in Israel have I found such faith. This is the gospel of the Lord. Let's uh, pray together. Father in heaven, we ask that as we uh, think about this story uh, from Jonah, that you would give us uh, ears to hear, eyes to see, uh, the, the grace to discern how you would have us uh, to respond this morning uh, to your faithfulness, uh, to Jonah, to the sailors, uh, and to our very lives. So meet us, we ask, in this, uh, this very old story. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So I have, uh, th this year, I've gone back to school. Uh, so I'm taking a series of classes all year long in uh, marriage and family and institutional uh, systems. So it's kind of, why does a 56-year-old man go back to school? Because he's stupid. Um, but it's one of the interesting things about it, and so by the way, that's just, that's a little, a little sidebar, is that if, if I sound like an amateur psychologist sometimes, guess what? I am very amateur. Um, so, but one of the, one of the readings in my class this past week was looking at the, the challenges that families have, or individuals that come in for therapy, have 
bringing their family stories to one another, right? Just sort of entering into an honest space of dialogue with your mom, with your dad, with your brothers, with your sisters, with your aunts, your uncles, your grandparents about stuff that happened to you in, in childhood, right? I mean, I mean, if you just stop and you think, you think, there are things I don't want my parents to know still, right? I mean, still, right? Um, and we all live that way. And what's intriguing is just how absolutely willing uh, we are to just take things into the grave with us, right? Uh, take things into the grave. And I mention that because as we come into this part of Jonah's story, you know, this is a point where Jonah, Jonah's a prophet. And um, last week we talked about the work that prophets do. And I mentioned something, uh, a quote from Walter Brueggemann, who's an Old Testament scholar. And he describes the prophetic task really as, as helping the community of God's people or anyone really grasp that the world in their own lives can be different. The world in their own lives can be different, right, if we, if we begin to have a sense of how God has been present in the past, even in the past that we may not like about ourselves, right? And even as we sort of look forward to the future, to recognize that in Christ, God has incorporated us into his future, right? We, we, have a belo- we belong to the world that God is bringing about in the person of Jesus. And so Brueggemann says that the prophet's task is to, is to do that, is to hold out hope like that. In the midst of a present that sometimes feels good to us, right? You know, maybe, you know, as we were singing that song earlier, you might think, well, I'm in that space of contentment, right? Things are more or less going well in my life. Or you may have thought, well, I feel pretty powerless in my life. The forces are raging around me, and I don't know what to do, and I know that I'm a person that's at my wit's end. Or maybe, you know, you, you feel impoverished in some way. Or maybe, you know, just all kinds of parts of our stories come into this room on any given Sunday morning, and we're either in that spectrum, right, of feeling generally okay about ourselves, or generally pretty crummy about ourselves. And we're sort of somewhere plotted along that line because of things that are going on in our lives. Uh, the prophetic task is to look at every single person as you plot yourself on that line and say, guess what? You know, things can be different in, for your life now in the present. If you begin to think about how God was with you in the past and his faithfulness in the past, and as you begin to understand how he's present to you in your present and you understand that in Jesus... Your life belongs to his glorious and beautiful future. And if you, if you grasp that, it sort of it gives you courage to live into the present differently. Now, the interesting thing about Jonah here to me, and remember we said that Jonah is a very unique book of prophecy. It's, not, um, you know, it's included among the prophets, but it's not like any of the other prophetic books. Uh, it, is, it is not giving us sort of some, it's not giving us a very clear historical moment. It's not giving us a very, so we're not getting a lot of details about Nineveh and Ninevites and, and Israel in this particular moment. It's far more vague than that. It's, it's, it's more, uh, this, is a, this is a strong sense of narrative is at play here, right? And it's almost comic strip-like, right? We said that last week as well. That, so you've got to sort of think on the genre. But the thing about Jonah that's really interesting is it, is it while none of it gets mentioned or the sailors here get mentioned, that this is really a story that we're brought into about Jonah's internal struggle with God, who is a God of mercy, who wants to tell a different story about his life and about Israel's life and about the world's life, about the sailors' lives. You know, God who is a merciful and gracious God, and Jonah is just pissed off about that. He doesn't like that about God. And so most of the, the Jonah story, right, we, we, we're brought in to his own struggle with this particular God. And it's a big deal for Jonah. 
Uh, and as we get through the, the whole book, right, you're going to see that the story never resolves, right, in the way that you would just be happy for. There are people that get, uh, that, that, that convert, that turn, and all of this to God. But the story for Jonah is sort of left in this really unhappy place at the very end of the book. And we'll get to that in a few weeks. And that's one of the things, by the way, that even though children's books love to illustrate Jonah, they usually leave out the fourth chapter. Because we don't want it to not resolve. We want Jan Jonah to be sort of this beautiful person who repented and proclaimed gospel faithfully. But Jonah is a struggling prophet. And so then the story really becomes this story in which Israel then and the church, Christians now, we're invited to, through his story and his struggle, have our own struggle with God. And just to look more honestly about our own lives. What, what do I not like about God? What am I ticked off with God about? What do I wish were different in my life, and how am I pushing against him? And how do I relate to my enemies? Uh, why am I not willing to relate to my enemies the way God is willing to relate to his enemy? Right? These are the kinds of things that come up for us uh, in the story of Jonah. And as Jonah here, uh, this prophet of God, right, in the story, he, um, he refuses the prophetic task. He just wants nothing to do with it. And the hard thing about this particular section that we just read is Jonah's depicted as someone who is so very willing to just die. I will take this story of God's mercy to the grave with me. And that's where Jonah is in this part of the story. Um, and one of the interesting things about this part of the story as well is you begin to recognize that, that our lives together are very interconnected. Um, that we, that our stories belong to one another. We say that quite often, and usually when we say that, we're, we're talking about our, the good parts of our stories, right? My faithful place as a follower of Jesus, it belongs to you. Uh, your faithful place as a follower of Jesus belongs to me so that when I feel stuck, I can listen in on your story, and I don't feel condemned by what good is going on in your life. I rather, hopefully, I feel pulled along toward a greater place of faithfulness because I'm hearing your story of how God is present to your life. But guess what? Here, Jonah's part of the story tells us that when our lives are unraveling, our unraveling belongs to the people around us. Our unraveling affects the people around us. Because Jonah's a person who's on the run from God, right? He's resisting God's call upon his life. He's refusing God's call upon his life. And he's doing things that put other people around him in danger, right? So they're drawn into the stormy moment as well. And they're about to die. And Jonah would rather sleep in the hull of a boat than wake up and talk about what's going on. He'd rather take it all to the grave and take them, frankly, to their grave as well. I mean, I don't like Jonah. And you don't like him either, because he's just not likable. There's not a lot of beauty in someone like that, right? I mean, right? And we, we are, but, but we're meant to begin to understand how are we like that? How are we not beautiful? So that we might wake up to the beauty and the mercy of God a little differently. And Jonah's story reminds us that we are not islands, but our stories really belong to one another. Um, and so we need to, to, we need to sort of wake up to these realities. Now, the second thing I want to sort of think about is not just Jonah, but these sailors. And so we've called this the reluctant sailors. So, uh, the sailors begin to question Jonah, right? Uh, we've, it's the focus has come on him. They've asked him to call on, on, on his God to wake up and re-engage your God in behalf of us, right? They're urging him again to the prophetic work, right? To do what you should do as a follower of your God, whoever that God is, right? 
Um, and here they begin to question him. Uh, uh, and the questions are, well, who are you? Well, I'm a Hebrew, and we worship um, the God that made the land and the sea. Now, this is a really interesting thing because in the ancient Near East, you know, you've got all these little local deities, right? They're running around. You know, people are attached to a local deity. And the thing about a local deity is like, they have a specialty. I'm the God of the harvest. I'm the God of rain. I'm the God of this territory, this piece of geography. But when Jonah says, hey, I'm a Hebrew and we worship the God who made land and sea, what's he, what kind of local deity is Yahweh? Well, guess what? He's not local. He made everything. He made the world. And so think about the stupidity of what's happening in this story, right? So here's Jonah. And he says, well, my God made the land and the sea. And you can imagine, you know, the, these ancient Near Eastern sailors and their little minds and the people that are reading the story in that context, they're, they're listening in on this. And so, he, oh, wait a minute, wait, 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 you, your God made everything and you, you think you can run away? I mean, this, I mean, that's where my mind goes, right? You think you can run away from him and you've chosen the most volatile and vulnerable space on earth of creation, the sea. To run away from him on. Like, what's going on in your head, dude? You know, I mean, that's where my mind goes with Jonah. is just this really weird space. Um, and so Jonah, his answer to them is just, hey, you know, you know, throw me into the sea and it'll calm down. Now, this is interesting. Jonah is a prophet. We think of prophets having words from God to share with people. We have no indication that God has told Jonah to tell them to throw him into the sea. It's just another place where Jonah wants to die. He just wants to die. He's done. He's checked out. And he says, you know, here's, okay, here's possibly a solution. The solution is if you get rid of me, our lives are connected. Okay, I'm getting that. I think my life is causing your life trouble. I get that. So the solution is to get rid of me. That's my solution for you. And that's what Jonah tells them essentially to do is to kill him, is to throw him into the sea, and the waves will calm down and so forth. Um, but Jonah gets that his life is connected to the troubles of the sailors lives he gets that and he's honest about that but they don't like Jonah's solution it's not a happy solution I mean and you wouldn't either right you're on the boat and you're the captain of the boat and you if you then you feel a great sense of trouble because it's going to fall to you what will you say uh, and and they say uh, you know they don't say, right? They don't take Jonah up on his offer, at least not initially. Instead, what do they do? Well, you know, they do what sailors do. They, they row. Uh, they're on the boat, and they're doing the work of persons on that boat. They're rowing, and they're just rowing harder. Uh, now, I think this is interesting because um, when I think about my life, when I, when I feel stuck or when I'm not happy about something, you know, what, what is your go-to practice? What do you do? If you feel stuck, if you feel discouraged, you feel depressed, you feel like you're at your wit's end, what do you do? Every single one of us in the room, we lean into our skill set. I mean, whatever that is, your talents, your skills, your know-how, your body of knowledge, your place of expertise, you go there and you explore it just a little bit more and you deploy it just a little bit more. And that's essentially what the sailors do. They just row harder. But the picture of the story, right, this comic strip depiction, this frame, is that they, they dig in and they deploy their expertise as sailors, but it, it's ineffective 
it's not working, right? Because the storm is stronger, right? It's stronger than their abilities. It's stronger than their expertise. Um, their skills are just not enough. And so finally, uh, the narrator tells us they cry out to the Lord. Uh, and this is a really interesting prayer. So the picture is of persons at their wit's end who've tried everything they know to try. I, they've just deployed every bit of human intellect and skill and knowledge that they have. They've even called on their own gods, right? <laughs> you know, they've done their religious duties. They've done their, their, uh, their vocational duties. They've, done, they've just done all of these things, but to no avail. And they're at their wit's end, and they cry out to the Lord, which is a picture of someone that's desperate. Right? There's a desperation in their, in their lives in this moment because they think they're going to die. And, um, and they basically ask God, Jonah's God, uh, Yahweh, to not hold them accountable for, what, for acting on Jonah's words. Because Jonah said, throw me into the sea, and they're about to do that. And they don't want his blood on their head. They don't want to be responsible for that. But they don't know what else to do. So they just take the word that Jonah gave them. And they act on that word. Now, it's interesting. There's, um, in, in Psalm 107, Psalm 107 is a, is a psalm that's just absolutely beautiful. Go read it sometime. And there are these little vignettes of persons that are, that are somehow alienated, groups of people that are alienated from God in some way, They're, or distant from God, or just a, away from him in some way. And you pass through them, and every single one of them sort of reaches a point where they're at their wit's end, and they cry out to the Lord, and they discern his presence, and he's with them. And in Psalm 107, there's a story about sailors who are doing their work as sailors. And they're out on the seas, and they're just, these are, this is like us. You go to work. If you're a student, you go to school and you study and you take your exams. And it, you go, or if you're, you know, if you're a teacher, you go to school and you do what teachers do in the school, and all, you know, you deal with all the chaos of students, right? And you, and and or you are a lawyer, or you're a doctor, or you're a, you're an administrator, you're you're, you know, you're whatever you are in life, vocationally, some space. Tomorrow morning, you will get up, and you will just go about your business, and you'll you'll do what you do, you'll deploy your skills. So Psalm 107 reaches a place where it's about people in a space of vocation and it's sailors, but they're deploying their skills and they're not aware, right? They're content with their skills. They're content with their gifts. They're content with what they know how to do. Life is working for them and somehow, but they hit a storm. God sends a storm. And there's a place where they can't row hard enough, right? And so they cry out to the Lord when they're at their wit's end. And the, and the sea calms. So it's a picture of human beings needing to be desperate for this God of mercy, this God of grace who loves us. Remember the comic strip quality of this story, right? The perfect storm, it's violent, it's tearing the boat apart. Uh, it's raging against your ability and then suddenly you do what Jonah said to do. He's overboard, and the sea is glassy calm. So imagine yourself on that boat for just a moment. What do you, what's going through your mind and your heart and your head? You, at one moment, everything around you in your world is raging against you, and you are deploying every bit of know-how that you have to deploy to no avail 
at all. And you act on this turn, this pivot toward the God of the Hebrews, right? Toward Yahweh. You pivot toward him in your cry of desperation and suddenly, boom. you feel they're more afraid they feared a greater fear (laughs) it's such a beautiful phrase they feared a greater fear right because I can be in a moment where I'm experiencing something that's just so frustrating so damaging so hard so difficult but you know what I can define you I can dissect that moment. I can articulate the enemy. I see what's wrong. You see what's wrong. Maybe it's disease. Maybe it's cancer. Maybe whatever it is, you see it. You see it there present to your life. And then suddenly in this pivot toward God, peace. And you're standing before a power that is so much greater than that which you feared most, death. So this is a really beautiful, beautiful text about these sailors and their pivot toward Jonah's God. And the first thing they do in that moment of fearing a greater fear is they begin to worship. And we know that because of the language that the narrator has chosen to use to talk about what they did. They offered sacrifices and they made vows. If you're a person inside of Israel reading this, you would know that there was a place in Israel where sacrifices were made and vows were taken. And it was the temple. It was that place where heaven and earth met and you would go to meet God there in that sacred space and you would offer sacrifices and you would make vows. And the narrator says it's happening on a boat that was in the midst of a storm. It's a wooden boat, you know, lighting fires on boats sounds like a bad idea, but you know, There's a sense in which what we're meant to understand is that there's a real pivot toward the real God here and there's real worship happening in that space of their fearing a greater fear. So here this very surprising group of people that Jonah was happy enough to let him just go down to the bottom of the sea with him in the storm, they've been saved. They've converted in some sense. They've turned in some real and substantive way toward Jonah's God. Worship It's a form of devotion, which is one of the ways that you and I embrace and we enact and we anchor our own imaginations in God's presence, in what God wants, in the world that he wants, in the peace that he's bringing, in the story of his own faithfulness, past and in the present as we look toward his future. That's what worship is meant to do for us. We intentionally say, tell me the story this week one more time so that my head, when I'm out there in the week, will not be forgetful of God. I'll remember his weighted past, his freighted past. And I'll hold on to that as I live in this moment. If it's a good moment, I'll tie the goodness to him. If it's a hard moment, I'll I'll look for him in the midst of the hardness. I'll look for him, I'll cry out to him at my wit's end, but I'll remember his freighted presence in my world and in my life as I look to his faithfulness in the present and in the future. Why give up one story for another? Jonah You know, why worship Jonah's God rather than all these local gods that you've previously engaged? 
It's because of the inadequacies of the world that they knew and thought was working for them on the one hand, but it's this greater fear of standing before power that's so much greater than their own. Now finally, one last piece here. It's verse 17, the big fish. But the Lord provided a large fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And that's a strange place to sort of end our text, but we'll end there. And next week, we're going to sort of move in to, to sort of understanding what's happening in that big fish. But here's the thing I want us to think about this moment with regard to this verse. We learn something incredibly important. Um, and it's not that if you happen to be on a sea, maybe a big fish will swallow you too. It's not that. Um, everybody that ever read this story thought, boy, this is, a, this, is a, this is a whale of a tale. I mean, everybody that has ever read this story has thought, this is really weird. Because, and is this a good thing? Because we all know what happens if you get swallowed up by something in the sea. You die. Everybody knew that. But here's the incredibly important thing that we learn as we sort of move forward in this story, and, and it's this. It's so important because if, if you and I are to live with contentment in a world like ours, with lives like ours, and if we're to live with hope in a world like ours and lives like ours, uh, we need to get this too. And it's just very simply this. God is with us. God is with us. The Lord provided a big fish. The Lord provided a big fish. Um, the Lord was with Jonah. So even as Jonah is running, and even as Jonah is just intent on his own demise, the Lord is running with Jonah. The Lord is present to Jonah. The Lord is thinking about Jonah. So you know, it, Jonah may care less about God, but that doesn't mean God cares less about Jonah. That's a really beautiful place, right, in this story. If you just stop and you think about this, that this story, this weird part in the story of this fish, right, that, that, that we're just meant to sort of understand and think about God's presence, his action, his movement, his faithful presence to our lives, even when we don't care about him. Because God extends mercy to his enemies. He extends mercy to his enemies. And even if I, who know a lot about God, a little bit a lot, a little bit of a lot about God, right? If, if I decide, right, that I, I'm just done, God doesn't stop caring about me, even if I want to make myself an enemy of God, and I want to live like an enemy of God. Sometimes we have to taste the broken edge of our lives unraveling without God before we realize and before we desire the grace of his presence. And something like that's happening in Jonah's part of the story at this point. When Jesus um, says to the religious leaders of his day, who think they figured God out, right, by the way, uh, a dangerous assumption to ever make, um, but who think they figured God out, and Jesus is sort of shaking up the way they think about God. He's just displacing their thoughts a little bit. It's like, it, it feels uh, weird. Jesus feels like a really strange representative for God to them because of all that they know, they think they know about God. Uh, but they want the sign, right? And this is the verse that Jesus points to. You want a sign? It's Jonah. God provided a big fish, and he was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights faithfulness of God, if you squeeze the facts of life through the narrow story that you think you control 
a God who's under your thumb and in your court and in your control. Or a world that is void of his presence. If you imagine that's what the world is, right? It's void of his faithful presence. You and I will always end up in a place of pride because we think we did it. Or we'll end up in a place of despair because we're absolutely powerless and we know it. Or we're placed in a place of cynicism because we know there are people who power with power in the world who do whatever the heck they want to do. At the expense of everybody. And if that's where you end up, it will suck joy and life out of your life and the lives of people around you and the world itself. There will be no joy. There will be no life coming from your life and your connections with the people around you if that's how you live life. So this text, I think, pushes us to ask some hard questions of ourselves. Can I trust God? Can I become a person who discerns his presence in my story, however complex or chaotic or frustrating or disappointing or joyful I feel my story is. Can I discern his faithful presence? The story of Jesus is the story of God's presence with us literally in the world, walking through a world different from our own but so very like it. It's a story of a God who is willing to take death to himself. In other words, to swallow up all of the sorrow, you know, to taste it, to not you know, live away from the sorrow of life in this world, to not live away from death, but to absolutely embrace it. And when the biblical writers, the New Testament writers sort of think on what does it mean that God in person in our world would die and descend to the dead and rise up out of death for our sakes, what does that mean for us? One of the things that the Apostle Paul pushes us to see in Romans chapter 8 is this. If God loves you that way, can't you trust him to finish what he's promised he'll do? If God's weighted presence in the world and in your life is in his death and in his resurrection and in the gift of the Holy Spirit, can you not, in the midst of life, wherever it is, whatever's going on, can you not trust that that's not the end of the story for you? That there's resurrection, that there's newness of life, that there's courage for life in this moment because of his faithful presence. So here we are in the belly of the fish. You're Jonah. What would you do? We'll talk about that next week. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we ask that as we think on this old story that in so many ways feels so very strange to us, we ask our Savior that you would meet us that you would help us to see how we are like Jonah, that we struggle with you, that we hold you at arm's length, that we are very fearful people about being honest and vulnerable about our hopes and our dreams and our disappointments. Would you meet us as we worship this morning? Would you meet us around your tables so that we would recognize the kind of way in which you've loved us so that we would have courage to trust you this week and the life that's ahead of us? So meet us, we ask in Jesus' name. Uh, amen.